Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us, and God, we ask that you would help us to hear it today. God, we pray that you would help us to be those who have ears to hear. Help us to be those who have minds to think, to understand. Lord, help us to be those who have hearts that are ready and willing to be changed by you. That even today, we would become more the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah writes, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Turning into our New Testament lesson. From Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have I done it again? Oh, there it is. Well, before we get to our uh, sermon text this morning, I would like to share a story from my past, uh, a little bit mildly traumatic experience from when I was in school. Uh, this is actually when I was in seminary. Some of you have heard this before because it made a big impression on me. This is a time when I was in a New Testament interpretation class 
We are learning to study the Bible uh, to actually understand what the biblical authors are communicating rather than just what am I feeling while I read this. Two very different things. And so uh, we're learning to study the Bible, to try to understand what the Bible is talking about, and then to be able to communicate that uh, to others as well. And so uh, we're learning about studying and communicating and thinking. And, um, and so we write papers. You turn the papers in, professor gives them back with your grade, right? Right. Here's the difference in this case. The professor, the first prof- paper that he gave back to us, before he gave it back, he said, I have to you know, make a little announcement before I do this. He actually said this with a beautiful Irish accent that I will not repeat for you because it would not be beautiful. But he said, uh, before I give these back, you, there's something you need to know. Some of you will cry when you see your papers. <laughs> um, <laughs> haven't heard that one before, thanks. <laughs> now we're terrified. And he goes on to explain that the reason for the harsh grading that he has is because of how he wants to make us better in all those areas that this class is about. He wants to make us better at studying and communicating and thinking through all these things. And so he has the papers for us to pick up kind of on our way out of class. And I just grab mine, throw it in the folder. I don't even look at it. Head back to the apartment. Finally, okay, I'm going to take a look. Kleenex handy. (laughs) And I start page one, and it is covered with red ink. He has marked up every, it's like there wasn't a word that I wrote that there wasn't something wrong with it. And as I'm looking down the page at everything he wrote, I agree with everything he said. He was spot on, and I just made a mess of the whole thing. I turn to page two. It doesn't get better. I don't know what I was expecting. It's the same. Page three, page four, every page, it is just line after line, red ink, red ink, marking it up. This needs to be like this. You need to move that over there. This part shouldn't even be in there. <laughs> the whole, all the way through. And by the time I'm getting to the last page, I am dreading my grade. I know already I have failed this paper. There is not a doubt in my mind. But you have to look. So I get to the last page, and there at the bottom, circled in red ink, is the grade, the letter A. At which point I had a jarring emotional experience. (laughs) I had not had this experience before. I had had A's before, and I had papers marked up before, just not on the same paper. (laughs) I didn't know what to make of it. But I did learn something from it. And what I learned is for the rest of that semester, I started with the last page. (laughs) Look at the grade first. (laughs) Save the emotional roller coaster. (laughs) Because the marking up that he did didn't change. But the way that I read it changed a lot knowing the grade i say all that to say this we are going to read uh in acts chapter three a uh, bit of a sermon that peter preaches in a moment where uh people are wondering what is going on we just read in uh in luke about peter on the first easter morning going to the tomb and he comes away wondering what is going on But that's not the end of Peter's story. 
Peter actually ends up meeting the risen Lord Jesus. And, uh, and there's a lot that goes on there that bring us to then Peter spending the rest of his life telling people the good news about Jesus. And I want us to have this image in, in your mind of this, uh, the paper that's all marked up, but there's an A on there. Because we sometimes have some wrong impressions when it comes to Christianity. And I just want to clear out a few of those. We'll get into this story. I think this uh, the graded paper is helpful. Some of us have the view that every time we read the Bible, every time we go to church, what we hear is all the red ink. We just see all the ways that we're doing wrong, that our lives are messed up, that we are horrible people, and there's just no hope for us. And so we, by the time we get to the last page, we don't even look at the grade. We just, why bother? And we give up. I want you to know that is not the message of Christianity. On the other hand, some of us see the A at the end of the paper, and that's all we look at. And we go, we are accepted. We are accepted and we are loved by God, and there is nothing for us to improve upon or change in any way. And that is also not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is a both at the same time. That this is what we see with both Good Friday and Easter Sunday. What we see is that there was such a need for our brokenness to be dealt with that God dealt with it in the death of Jesus on the cross. But that there's more than that. That there is a, uh, a life of living with him and it's not just about being forgiven, but it's also about being made perfect with him. This is kind of what we're going to look at as we go into this. And this is what Peter starts explaining. And, I, and you have to have that in mind because he's, when Peter starts explaining this, he kind of comes off a little harsh. I don't want you to have the same emotional experience I had when I read the paper. Understand. Um, we have not our own grade as an A. We have... Jesus' grade on our behalf, welcoming us into his family, but for a purpose. Here we go. This is uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. Set the stage. It is um, Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray, and there's a man who is begging, and Peter's like, yeah, I, got, I don't have any money. And so he says to him, you know, I don't have any money. I can't give that to you. But he also knows that what this man really needs is not the money that will get him through for a little bit. What he needs is to be made whole again. And so he says, um, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He takes him by the hand, and he helps him up, and he walks. And this is the thing that confuses everybody. I mean, when does this happen? And so they are all... Uh, filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And so then we pick this up in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. 
you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. All right, did you hear it? Did you hear it? The people are confused. What in the world is going on? And so Peter begins to explain, here's what's going on. And the way that, uh, the way that he opens, this is one of the things we've been talking about for a long time, when they say, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Consistently you see this from uh, the disciples after Pentecost, after, they have, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, after they have received the Holy Spirit in their lives, you don't see them uh, pointing to themselves and saying, look how great I am anymore. You consistently see them saying, what are you looking at us about? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's what he's doing. It's what he's doing in us. It's what he's doing in the people around us. It's what he's doing in all of creation. The message is Jesus. That the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And then he turns it right back on them. And this is the part where I said it gets kind of harsh. Like, Peter, come on. What are you doing? But listen to this. He says, and, and let's keep in mind the timeline and the location. Where is Peter when he's talking to this, these people? He's in Jerusalem. He's at the temple. This is uh, the same area where Jesus is arrested, where he's tried, this whole uh, Jerusalem area in and about. And this is not long after. I mean, we're talking in terms of weeks later. Months, perhaps, definitely not years. The people who are in this area are the people who were in that area when Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified. And so Peter looks at this crowd and he says to them, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. And how bad does this sound? It almost sounds like Peter's trying to pick a fight. 
You're trying to get yourself killed now, Peter? Come on. That's not it, though. Peter is pointing out the hopelessness of the situation. It is as though the whole story so far has been talking about the way in which all of humanity has been uh, bitten by the venomous serpent. And we all have this death venom coursing through our veins. But just when the anti-venom arrived, we were threatened by it. And so we threw it on the ground and smashed it on the rocks. And it's done. Peter says, this is what you did. The hope of your salvation was right there and you threw it away. So now what? Right? Just when we thought all hope was lost, then it looks like all hope is really lost. That the darkness gets even darker. But then, he says, but God raised him from the dead. And so as it turns out, all hope is not lost. And in fact, as it turns out, all hope will never be lost. God raised him from the dead. And Peter says, we, who are we? We are witnesses of that. We are witnesses of God raising this Jesus from the dead. We are witnesses of the hope that will never die. So by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. But that still doesn't answer the question. The people see now what has happened with this man, and they understand that the Jesus, who is the source of hope that they had rejected, has been raised to life again. But doesn't that mean that he's probably going to be coming for him now? I mean, if this were the kinds of stories we're used to, you do somebody wrong and they come back with a vengeance, right? That's not the story. This is different. Peter says, now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah. Continuing on, he even says, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. Do you hear this? Is it too late for these people? No, it's not too late for them. In fact, the reason that uh, Peter has to explain to them how desperate their situation is is so that they will understand the good news to be the good news that it is. He said they acted in ignorance. They didn't even know what they were doing. When they're, you know, slapping the, the vial of antivenom onto the rocks, they think it's poison. They think it's going to kill them. So no, we don't want any of that. And so he has to point out no, that was, that was your hope. But now what he's pointing out is, because God has raised him to life again, this is still your hope. And it's not too late for you. I mentioned earlier the, the paper with all the red ink. 
And I said, some of us feel this way. You know, one of two ways. Some of us feel like we have been accepted and that's it, end of story. And Peter says to this crowd, who thought that they were, hey, we are going to do the godly thing and get rid of this blasphemer. Not even realizing how deep their wickedness ran. They thought they were the good guys. And to them, Peter has to point out, you're not the good guys you think you are. You are not accepted because of your own goodness. If your hope is in you, you have no hope. On the other hand, once he points out the hopelessness of their situation, they may shift and look all the way to the other side and see all the red ink and go, oh my goodness, we are more desperately lost than we had realized. We are more wicked than we ever would have thought for us. I mean, we're the good guys after all, right? But no, turns out, We're doing some pretty wicked things. And now that it's been revealed to us, despair, condemnation, but no, that's not the message either. What Peter says to them is, repent. It means turn around. Recognize where the the red ink has marked you wrong and say, that's right. I got that wrong. And then turn away from it. Learn to do better. If we were um, just staying on the writing theme, if you wanted to be an excellent novelist and you had uh, somebody who is just a wonderful, wonderful expert novelist and you wanted to uh, learn from them and even though you had submitted your novel and gotten rejection after rejection because, frankly, you're not a good novelist, I'm sorry, <laughs> but then you do get the letter from this excellent novelist who says, I'm not going to publish your work. What I'm going to do is I'm going to welcome you to come move into my house with me and learn from me, and you will become an excellent novelist. And you say, great, oh my goodness, dream come true. And so you go and you leave your home and you go and you move in with this novelist. You're going to learn to become an excellent novelist. And then, wouldn't it be strange if you go to them and you say, okay, what can I do to improve? And they say, eh, You're probably fine. I'm just going to do my own thing. How disappointing would that be? Now, my guess is most of you here are probably not aspiring novelists. But I also suspect that there's a pretty good proportion of us who would really like to live well in the life that we have been given. The reason I used writing is because of Peter describing Jesus as the author of life. You want to learn how to live well? Jesus is the one who knows what life is about. He knows what it means to live this life well. And you can learn from a lot of other people too who have no idea what life is about. But Jesus is the voice we ought to be listening to. In fact, this is what Peter says next. He talks about all the Old Testament prophets that have spoken about Jesus all the way through. Um, we, 
We sometimes look back at the Old Testament like, eh, who needs it, right? It's, it's dry, it's dusty, it's, you know, long ago and far away, and I don't know. I would encourage you to take another look at that. Um, in fact, we've been preaching through Genesis, going through the same way that I said that the grades on my, the marks on my paper I looked at differently after I'd seen the grade. When Jesus is raised from the dead, several times it talks about in Luke 24, uh, when he is walking on the road to Emmaus with some people, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He's talking about the Old Testament. Jesus is teaching them through the Old Testament about himself. Later on, he gets together with the disciples, same chapter, and he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophet, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Are you hearing this? And as you go through and you read the sermons that Peter preaches, he's preaching from the Old Testament about Jesus, how it's all been about him from the beginning. Once we understand this, it changes how we read the Old Testament. It changes uh, something that maybe we thought of as dry and dusty and far, you know, long ago and far away, and what does it really have to do with anything, into our story that is the living and active Word of God that brings the relevance of Jesus Christ into our lives and into the lives of the whole world. This is what Peter says uh, is going on. Through, and so that's where he goes. He goes back to the Old Testament. He talks about Moses. He talks about Samuel. He talks about Abraham. And when he starts with Moses, he says, um, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Now think about this. Go back to the... Uh, illustration if you're going to be this excellent novelist and you go and you move in with an excellent novelist to learn from them you would be wise to listen to what they say they know what they're talking about although you might also be tempted to listen to the guy who lives next door who has very different ideas when it comes to writing a novel peter says must listen to the one who knows what he's talking about. We must listen to the author of life. And, um, and then when he goes into Samuel, all the prophets talking about this, he says, you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. This is what we looked at last week. It's God making this problem to Abram. And we said that this is fulfilled through Jesus. But one of the things that we mentioned briefly is how difficult it is for us to use this word blessed without bringing a lot of our own baggage with us. Listen to the way Peter talks about what it means to be blessed through Jesus. He said, when God raised up his servant, being Jesus, he sent him first to bless you. Okay, so far so good by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Is that how you think about blessing? Typically, what we think of when we think of blessing 
is the things that we would ask God for. If you would just give me these things, or if you would just give me these situations in my life. And typically, the types of things that people ask for are the very things that would take us away from God. Please give me this so I don't have to trust you anymore. Please give me this thing so I don't have to walk with you anymore. Please give me this thing so I'll be fine on my own. And we call that blessing. That's not what Peter's talking about. He says the way that we are blessed is when Jesus turns us away from our wicked ways. He's already pointed out to these folks that there was wicked ways that they had that they did not recognize. We all have wicked ways we don't recognize. Part of what it means to be walking with Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be following Jesus, is to be listening to his voice, a voice that is a voice of correction, that shines light on the dark places that we don't want to see. But that shines light there because he is the great physician, one who can heal bodies, sure, but who can do so much more than that, who can find the parts in us that are killing us, that we just want to yada yada over and ignore, and I'm sure it'll be fine and everybody else's too, so what's the big deal? And he says, but I love you and I don't want that to stay in your life. I have something much better for you and you've got to let that go. I want you to live well. The life that I have given you to live. The life that I have written for you to live. I want you to walk with me. I want you to learn from me. I want you to live with me now and forever. This is the A on the paper. That's his A that says, I accept you and I love you and I have given my life for you. But it's also all the red ink that comes before. Saying, I'm not finished with you either. So come with me. Let me turn you from the wicked ways you don't even see yet. And in that, you will have forgiveness. Your sins will be wiped out. Times of refreshing will come. You can look forward to the restoration of all things. And in the meantime, you will be blessed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.